0: Again, welcome to Bit Depth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is Troy Anthony Small.
1: How are you doing? I'm alright. I'm not gonna lie, a little nervous, but I'm alright. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> is this worse
0: than performing?
1: Uh, no, 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 not at all. No. <laughs> um.
0: So my usual first question: uh, What do you do? Who are you?
1: Um. Well, I do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um. I am a musician. I studied classically as a bass baritone. Mm-hmm. I studied for years, um, starting in Tulsa and completed my undergrad at University of Central Oklahoma mm-hmm. in 2015 and decided to complete a master degree in voice performance as well. Mm-hmm. Completed that this past May in 2018. And I am lucky enough to have been teaching and tutoring privately since mm-hmm. 2007, Um, I currently teach private voice, private Mm -hmm. piano, and tutor for music theory, and run a small, I guess, amateur music publishing (laughs) company, (laughs) and I also uh, do some uh, music transcriptions and a few other things, musically making beats and production and whatnot, so, among other things, Mm -hmm. but that's all I can
0: think of. Which of of these things is, like, your main thing?
1: Uh, I mean... All of them, I guess, you know? <laughs> honestly, it's just because it, it's kind of an interesting story because I had absolutely no intentions of being a classical performer. Mm. Um, when I started school and started studying voice, that was the only option. You didn't mm. have a contemporary voice program such sure. as ACM, you know, right, so right. you study classical voice. But fortunately for me, um, I was fascinated with the physiology of the mm. instrument. So it was right up my alley. I wanted to learn yeah, yeah. how to... Sing efficiently, not necessarily to be a classical singer, but I wanted to be my best, uh, the best type of singer I could. Yeah, be. yeah, you know, I started with production and making beats on finale, yeah, and, uh, or, uh, making beats on finale. Well, <laughs> not necessarily well. I, let me rephrase that, <laughs> let me clear that up. Well, you can make, you I'm can sure use, you can. You, you, you can, can. But that is the weirdest way to do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they have percussion instruments on there, yeah, so you yeah. can do that. I guess I should say, I was, uh, arranging and composing on finale mm-hmm. but making the beats and fruity loops okay yeah and i would use cubase or mm. you know attempted to uh use pro tools but back then you needed another component and like firewire anyone remember firewire right yeah but <laughs> i guess at the time over the last couple of years my main focus has been classically but mm-hmm. within the last couple of months since i've completed my degree mm-hmm. i've kind of shifted it back to where i was before and yeah, just yeah. kind of Working on the attempted singer-songwriter stuff as much mm-hmm. as possible, just to see where it can go. Yeah, you know? but I guess that would be my focus right now. Yeah. Um, so, how did
0: you get thrown into this music world? <laughs> how did you start in music,
1: dude? I mean, <laughs> I I've always been kind of enraptured in music in some way, shape, or form. It mm. really started with my parents. You know, I come from a Caribbean household, mm. and traditionally
0: wearing that jamaica
1: shirt yes yes i had to wear it i was like you know what (laughs) let me represent so um my uh my father actually had a pretty vast record collection so you know on on saturdays and weekends when we cleaned the house there was always radio or records playing Mm -hmm. and all types of genres my mom kind of exposed me to a lot of adult contemporary Mm. so there was a lot of barbara streisand played there was a lot of uh pointer sisters played there was a lot of harmonic music my dad Mm. was very heavy into reggae and jazz cool so bob marley was one of the first the three first three were bob marley pointer sisters and
0: dig the big bob marley poster (laughs) over here
1: it was a huge bob marley poster which i used to represent i mean seriously and i love that it's right across from the the degree so it's kind of like my priorities sort of yeah yeah (laughs) you know but Um, yeah, it just goes back so far. I mean, I, but I grew up in New York City and didn't move Mm -hmm. to Oklahoma till maybe 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I had no intentions of studying music, ironically, until I left New York and came to Oklahoma, you know, (laughs) I was never taught that you could make, you could get a degree in music, Mm -hmm. you know, so I really didn't know. So I was born into it, but it wasn't until I got here and realized that you could make uh, or get an education in music that I really said, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. And that didn't happen until I was in my early twenties. So mm-hmm. that was maybe 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been at this for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you start as
0: more of, uh, a singer and you just like would find music and sing it and perform that? Or were you more of a songwriter and you were like, Hey, I made this thing. Let me show you.
1: <laughs> yes. <and no. laughs> well, when I was in New York, uh, When I was a teenager, uh, I had a bunch of friends, and we would, you know, just stupid kids, we would take our little boom boxes and cassettes, yes, and then just Mm -hmm. kind of, if we had instrumentals, we'd sing and record ourselves, you know, this was like 20, 25 years ago. and Or we record songs off the radio and just sing along with them playing in the background and, Mm -hmm. you know, just having fun on the weekends because we couldn't go out, we were teenagers. Uh But that was kind of how it started. Um, even before that, when I was in fourth grade and in Brooklyn, we were—I was in a Glee club, and that was pretty much my first experience. The year before mm-hmm. that, we uh, in third grade, we played recorders as we always right, do right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So that was when we uh, when I started playing the recorder in third grade. That was the mm-hmm. first time I ever realized or learned treble clef. Yeah, and that stuck with me mm-hmm. from third grade until yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when uh, you know until my twenties, mm-hmm. but. Um, that was the first time I can think of that. Mm -hmm. It really hit me. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I came here, I just tried something.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, at what point, like what made you decide to go, oh, I can't have a real job, quote unquote, real job. (laughs) I have to do music as my life's thing.
1: Hmm. I don't think I've, I don't even think at this point i I mean, I still have a real job is what I'm trying to say, you know, what is a quote unquote real job. Mm -hmm. But it really wasn't until I was 20 or 21 where I said, "Okay, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I was I actually left New York to come here and study aeronautical science to become a commercial pilot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And. I was in flight school for a while and then decided that I didn't want to do it after developing a mild fear of flying. So, (laughs) I mean, so I kind of thought, you know, why would I put anyone else's life in danger? (laughs) (laughs) But then I just kind of, at that time, after leaving school, I really was kind of not sure of what or what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I always would write poems or something Mm -hmm. like that and have tunes in my head but I really wasn't sure how to convey that. And mm-hmm. before I started writing music, I would do poetry slams. I did a couple yeah. of slams in Tulsa, you know, um, was nervous. <laughs> I was always <laughs> nervous, but I had a lot that I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. And when I said what I had to say, I kind of thought, well, now I hear music in my head. How do I convey that? Yeah. You know, and in 2001, I started working at Barnes and Noble. Hmm. Um, I'm not promoting or giving any kind of endorsement or anything. like <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I'm just stating, but, um, I started reading books on music theory mm. and just trying to convey what I was hearing in my head. Yeah, And I bought a keyboard. That little keyboard that I have here, <laughs> still to this day, that little Yamaha 61 keyboard. <laughs> and that's just kind of how I learned. I still have those complete idiots guides of music theory <laughs> that I still use to teach my yeah. students, you know. And that was really when it started and really when I made the decision after, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, there was... I think that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of your biggest influences? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Vocally, I've always been... I guess I've gravitated more to female vocalists than anything. Mm. Most of the uh, music that I grew up was, for lack of a better phrase, black music. Mm. And But at the time, that's how it was even sure, categorized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because... You look at the Billboard's R and B uh, hot, uh, the hot R and uh, B hip hop singles track mm-hmm. back in the late seventies, early eighties. It was referred to as the hot black singles chart, mm-hmm. so it was black music. But right. I'd have to say my it's always been the female vocalists. Uh, Minnie Ripperton is probably my mm-hmm. biggest, my favorite artist of all time. Most people know her for the uh, nineteen seventy four recording of "Loving You," and mm-hmm. um, but I mean her albums were <laughs> all, uh, just. Her albums are amazing and her voice, you know, she was one of the few singers at the time who was writing, producing mm. for herself, with, along with her husband, uh, Dick Rudolph, Richard Rudolph. Um, she's definitely my number one. Uh, I would also say Donna Summer. A lot of people yeah. kind of pigeonhole her. But if you just strip away and listen to the voice in the production, she also was a great songwriter, too. Mm the instrument of the the belt range of her voice, but mm. also the head voice. So it was just always awesome to mm-hmm. me. Labelle, the group, I'm not just talking Patty, I'm talking <laughs> Sarah Dash, Nona Hendrix. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean they were so influential. You look at um their 1974 album Nightbirds, you think of Lady Marmalade, mm-hmm. you know, um But not as
0: well-versed in this as you are, (laughs) but you you can list as many names
1: as you want, and I'll be like, (laughs)
0: Like, "Yeah, sure."
1: Well, you know, (laughs) that's all good. This is for everyone to check out. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Do your research, please. I mean, because these are artists you may have heard the tracks to, their most popular songs Mm -hmm. to, Lady Marmalade, uh, Loving You, but they, for lack of a better phrase, they may have been categorized as one-hit wonders, but Mm -hmm. when you listen to the album and the lyrical content, they were talking about, you know, Sexual freedom, um, respect as women, you know, mm-hmm. LaBelle had this great song called Get You Somebody New. And the opening line is, if you want somebody to be a slave, get you somebody new, you know? Mm. So that was always influential to me. But then the reggae, always, mm. the roots reggae influence, <laughs> Bob Marley, Burning Spear, mm. the roots reggae of the 70s and the 60s rock steady. And those were pretty much what shaped me. But then, growing up in Brooklyn, you had mm. hip hop, yeah. which was coming out. I mean, my first record that I ever bought was Salt <laughs> and Pepper, the 12 inch for pushing and Tramp, which is right there to this <laughs> day. <laughs> to God, so I'm blessed to have grown up in New York City and had these different influences: the Caribbean influence, the New York mm. City influences, the Afro Latino influences that were going on, mm. you know, as well. Because it was really growing up in the Flatbush section of Brooklyn. Mm. You know, there was a lot of Afro-Caribbean things going on, mm-hmm. Afro-Latino things going on. So, I mean, I was just kind of born into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So,
0: um, and what's what's sort of influencing your music today? Is is, <laughs> is new music as good or whatever? That's a, that's kind of a whole separate argument, <laughs> but yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, times change, people mm. change, sounds change. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of reacquainting myself with new music. I'm not as impressed with a lot of that sounds really that sounds really snooty of me. I'm not as impressed. <laughs> but you know, I'm there definitely has been a sonic shift, but also a shift in the music industry mm-hmm. over the last 20, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what the major labels are putting out yeah. to me aren't as impressive as impressive as they were to me. 10, 15, 20 years ago, but I'm sure that my parents were saying the same thing to me, 10, 15, sure, 10, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So, I mean, I still listen to a lot of 70s funk. Um, there were a couple of labels, underground labels out in New York uh, in the 70s and 80s, South Soul records, mm-hmm. West End records, Prelude records, and um, that's pretty much what I'm listening to a lot of right now or what I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of underground funk, a lot of underground dance mm-hmm. that came out of New York City in the 70s and 80s, out of places like the Paradise Garage. Mm -hmm. These were influential places in the subculture, or not the subculture, but the culture of gay New York City, Mm. you know? um, So, not necessarily the top 40 stuff that was out there as a kid Mm. for me, but kind of the stuff that my cousins, my older cousins were listening to, or was playing on the boom boxes around the way Mm. in in Stapleton, because, you know, uh, so... That's kind of what I'm listening to now, but I will say this: I'm not gonna lie. I kind of, I I I I, I like Cardi B. I do <laughs> like Cardi B. I, I you know, I, I like I like her flow. I do. <laughs> like I said, I grew up in hip hop, mm-hmm. and for a long time, I was just kind of disappointed out of what was coming out. Mm. You know, it was just kind of it really wasn't true. To the culture of what hip hop was, mm-hmm. it was just repetition, uh, you know. And no disrespect to anybody who's making their money, that's sure, them. Sure. That's what they choose to do. But it seemed less about the artist, the artistry, mm-hmm. than a hit. But I mean, I do like Cardi B's flow. But I'm mm-hmm. just trying to kind of re <laughs> <laughs> reacquaint myself with what's right. right. 40, you know what I mean? Um, what is
0: sort of your your sort of pie in the sky goal, but also?
1: what's your like realistic goal oh my god as a musician jesus i'm I, <laughs> is it bad that i don't really have one you know i just always wanted to i don't think that's a bad thing at all you know <laughs> i i i honestly can't say there's one thing mm. you know i just always wanted to be able to do whatever it is i want yeah musically artistically or whatever you know mm. if i wanted to sing if i wanted to audition for an opera i want to be able to do that which theoretically i have the education and i have the degrees mm-hmm. and i have the resume to back that up if i yeah, do yeah. if and when i do audition for opera houses but at the same time here i am mm. recording going back to the music that i've been recording for over a decade and now yeah. trying to put that out so it's really just independence mm-hmm. that's i think if i could put it in a word independence yeah. is more than anything
0: that's especially important nowadays given the way that the record label industry is going um, and all the publishing nightmares that are going on. Don't ever sign a 360 (laughs) deal. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, that's something that's kind of new terminology to Mm -hmm. me. I've heard of that, but I'm wondering if that's along the lines of cross-collateralization where they're taking money from all of your... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. See, that is part of the reason why I never... Even when when I made the decision in my early 20s Mm and the early aughts, To pursue music. I never said, okay, well, I want to go sign with Aristotle. I never, I I want to go sign with Universal or anything like that because Mm. I knew I had nothing to back up my argument. Mm. I really couldn't express, I couldn't articulate Mm. what I was hearing. And that's more why I started studying. But I also knew after watching many episodes of Behind the Music, (laughs) (laughs) there were... A lot of components of the business industry and Mm -hmm. actually that's kind of where I started while I was producing or -hmm. learning production. I started reading books on uh, the business, this business of music, Mm -hmm. learning about uh, payola, learning about the performance rights organizations Mm -hmm. ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, learning about uh, master and Mm -hmm. you know so and now here I am trying to figure out well where do I go now? Right. But it's been so long so so much has changed. You have you don't necessarily need to go mm. to a major label. You have digital distribution yeah, through yeah. multiple outlets. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: and I mean, talk about that. You 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 do have your own
1: publishing. So so yes. what is that? What is it? And what's <laughs> that like? <laughs> well, it's it's still new to me because mm. you know there's so much to publishing that I don't even understand. But mm. I know basically a publisher. It, it's not necessarily literally publishing music, although I do do that literally yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's more plugging the record you have a record um mm. and you're going to the outlets you're saying hey i have this pe- I have this song this piece mm. that's classically i guess right, right. <laughs> <laughs> i have this song but um me as an independent publisher i'm because i'm so new to this i would probably have to relinquish some of those publishing rights not necessarily mm. all of them but you know you look for uh co-publishing deals or mm-hmm. something like that uh but right now where I am, I basically use uh Reverb Nation or I go mm-hmm. through SoundCloud or something like that and mm-hmm. I'll record a song. Um but typically I mean, or basically you can just act as your own publisher and name. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it, it I hate to say it means nothing, but you can always yeah. act as your own publisher and name just trying to plug the record. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Um and what what kind of what's been the biggest lesson that you've gotten out of trying to do all this yourself?
1: (laughs) It's only recently where I'm realizing uh, no man is an Island. (laughs) (laughs) It's easy to want to do it yourself, but Mm. it's only recently where I'm realizing maybe it's time to start bringing in a team Mm -hmm. and bringing other people because when you focus on the business, it almost is leaving the artistry behind. Yeah, you know, sucks
0: the soul out of the music. Yeah,
1: you know, seriously, it's because I'm here. I am. I recorded the song and I put it out on Reverb Nation a week ago, and I got it on Spotify and got it mm. through some uh, got some distri- uh, digital distribution. And it's a song that I've been working on for a long time. But I worked on all the business aspects of it, and now I'm thinking, God, I can't even remember the last time I played it at the piano. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So. It's give and take, but balance, balance, balance. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you know, there's not one thing that I wanna do. I want to be yeah in I want to be aware of everything, but Mm. you're gonna have to eventually get some help, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously.
0: Um what's sort of been your uh biggest musical hurdle that you've uh gotten past? And then what's something that you're working on now that you're (laughs) still like, ah
1: I mean (laughs) Ooh, I think something that I'm still working on is relinquishing mm. that control. You know, uh, I've always been apprehensive. Going back to the whole behind the music and all that good yeah. stuff. You know, you you you're, you're looking for a manager, you're looking for a road manager, a tour manager, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you may not know this person, and you're mm-hmm. thinking, okay, do they really want to see me grow? You know, mm-hmm. I guess that's really essentially what you yeah. want in the team. You want a team of people that want to see you grow as yeah. well. Because I mean if you don't grow, if you don't make money, they're not going to get paid. So I mean, they have to have Mm -hmm. your best interest at heart. But, um, I don't know what the biggest hurdle for me, I think, as a student, the biggest hurdle, as a student musician, uh, financing your education Mm. is a huge hurdle. (laughs) You know, that is a huge hurdle for some of us. Um, But, I think my biggest hurdle insecurity Hmm. we all have our own insecurities we all you know especially if you're a major if you're Mm -hmm. a music major or something like that or you know even if you're not a music major and you're just doing it you know sometimes insecurity can creep in and you're like oh my god why is am i am i making the right Mm decision is this right you know but at the end of the day you got to get your feet wet to swim Mm -hmm. you got to try you know and so i would probably be my biggest hurdle Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) you know and anyone I think can be their own worst enemy or their biggest hurdle, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. Um, so how
0: do we make money in this? How do we survive (laughs) off of this? I'm still learning. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm still learning to be Mm -hmm. honest, honestly, you know, then that's kind of going back to the first question about the day job. You Mm -hmm. know, I still work part time. Yeah. I finance it working part time, um, In a library, but Mm. I also teach privately. You know, Mm. so that's how I do that, and I do other things. You know, but you may solicit your services, Mm -hmm. um, do church gigs as a vocalist. You do church gigs, or even as an instrumentalist, you're going to do a church gig Um, if you want to work for a church. You know, (laughs) you you know, it depends on your genre. Um, If you're a if you're a contemporary musician, I would assume that you would gig. Um, like at a local, which is something that I am actually trying, that's kind of where I'm sticking my toe into Mm -hmm. right now, trying to figure out how to differentiate the classical realm from the non-classical realm. How do you gig as a non-classical artist? You know, do I go to the venue myself and say, hey, I'm such and such and give me a set. You know what I mean? Or do I have someone represent me? You know Mm -hmm. I mean? I'm just some schlub who comes (laughs) from nowhere. (laughs) They're like, what? But um, you got to do what you got to do. That's, Mm -hmm. The short answer, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'll do arrangements for people. If you have a song in B mm. flat, I mean, I'll put it in a finale and say, "Hey, I'll transpose it up to B for you or something mm. like that." So, basically, <laughs> know your skill set, know mm. yourself, and that's how you do it. Hustle, yeah. you know.
0: Um, just saying you you teach uh, privately, there's there's mm. a distinction between. Being a performer, being a musician, uh-huh. and teaching people how to be a performer, a musician. Yes. So <laughs> what is that distinction? And
1: Well, there is the argument that um, those who can do and those who can't teach. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with that. It's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but... I love performance to me. You know, I'm kind of, uh, I'm introverted in a lot of ways. Um, it's not always the case, but in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And I feel when I'm on the stage, be it a recital or if it's an operatic character or mm-hmm. whatever, even if I'm singing, you know, when I was singing with the UCO chamber singers singing mm-hmm. a jazz solo or something like that, it's cathartic. Mm-hmm. It's cathartic. And, you know, you're getting, you you know, when you're studying a song, when you, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what genre it is. You put yourself in that song. Yeah. And that's kind of what I tell my voice students, mm-hmm. particularly. You can stand on a stage and recite text mm-hmm. to the beat all you want to. Mm-hmm. But if you don't believe it, the audience is not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. And we're just waiting for you to get off the stage after that. Yeah. And we're just going to be polite and applaud for you. But you got to relate it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And just I think that's that's definitely something that I convey to my students. Look at that text. Look at the poetry, if it's an art song or something like mm-hmm. that. But how does that relate to you? How does that speak to you? Mm-hmm. How are you going to make me believe it? How are you? it's Because it's, it's what is it, symbiotic? Is that what they say? <laughs> it's, a, it's a flow, you know, for yeah, me yeah. as the singer to the audience and to the collaborative musician. We, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's cyclic. So mm-hmm. it, we want to keep that moving. But the second one of us breaks that cycle, yeah. it becomes evident. Mm-hmm. So you, even when we flub, you got to keep it moving, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Easier said than done, by the way. Right.
0: <laughs> I feel like it's kind of weird that we call it recitals more so than we call it like performance. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, oh, we're reciting music at you as if it's not even... <laughs>
1: I mean, the academic... Term. Right, right, yeah. But <laughs> well, I guess, you know, yeah, you're you're gigging otherwise or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? <laughs> I'm still learning about that, seriously.
0: Mm. Um. How do you feel like as as a singer, um shows like The Voice and American Idol have sort of turned this uh this mm. talent as they call it, but this skill mm-hmm. um mm. instead of you know working your ass off as you've been,
1: uh yeah. you just go on a show. Well, <laughs> You know, initially, in my 20s, I um, I was just like, oh, oh, oh. I kind of was like, this is mm. terrible, this is horrible. You know, kind of how I felt about Garage Band and Rockstar. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's like, it takes away from the artistry. Mm. Um, I don't know if I feel as strongly about the people. I don't feel strongly about, that. you know, the people who go on there, the contestants, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to knock them mm-hmm. if they truly have the skill right, to back it up. You know, you look at the first Idol winner, Kelly Clarkson. Mm-hmm. You look at Fantasia. You look at um, Ruben Stutter. There, there are some good voices that came mm-hmm. out of American Idol. Yeah. You know, or out of The Voice. I've never really, I've watched maybe one or two seasons of The Voice or something like that, but I've never really followed. I don't really follow reality, mm. the reality genre. But you know, there have been some, there's been talent that's come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, But there have also been people who have exploited it. Yeah. But it's, You know, there have been contestants who have exploited it as well as the producers, Mm -hmm. you know. And so on one level, I feel, well, why the hell did I spend all this time and money studying Mm -hmm. to be degreed? If it's just becoming a quote unquote novelty, because that's kind of what it seemed. You know, for a long time, I felt as a singer, Mm -hmm. we were secondary, Mm -hmm. a novelty or something like that, when it shouldn't be like that. But... To the contestants who do that, I have a problem with, you know, the William Hungs out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought that was ridiculous, but whatever. Um, (laughs) But I think more than anything, my beef with Idol and that type of vacuous, whatever you want to call it, was the control they have. Mm -hmm. And that goes back into me not wanting to sign with the label because you're basically controlled by this company for... Mm -hmm. I don't even know how long, but you own, they own your publishing, they own your masters. So whatever you do and whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you have to prove to them. So I never really wanted to be in control. I think that was more, or I never wanted to relinquish control, I right, should say, right. you know what I mean? But overall, I guess that would have been my number one reason for getting into this business in the first place. Cause I didn't want anyone in control. Yeah, you know, yeah. I wanted to do something that I could do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Sort of even more vague uh <laughs> what makes good music, what makes bad music. Ooh, I mean,
1: excuse me, I don't I, I'm apprehensive about using the terms mm-hmm. I don't like to use absolutes in music, right? Unless it is absolutely applicable. <laughs> you know, and that's something I, I like to say to my students. I don't say never. I try not to say never or easy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean You know, if there is, I mean, I like a beat. I like a track. I like to dance, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like to shake, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I like syncopation. I like bass. I like rhythm, Mm -hmm. you know. But, so it doesn't always have to, you don't always have to be on a soapbox in your music. Sure. You know, know, we all have different emotions. We have happy times. We have good times. We have stressful times. Mm -hmm. We have chill times. We have love times. We cry You know, so it's life, you know. Yeah, so it's there are different spices, different flavors. You know, you get a little from column A, B, C, D, whatever, you know. But I I have likened a lot of the contemporary top 40 music to sugar and Mm. said, you know, or you know, because some folks call it bubble cum or whatever, (laughs) you know. And a little bit of sugar is all right every now and then, you know, Mm -hmm. but there's only so much sugar you're going to ingest till you get diabetes. Right. That's what I say. So, I mean, you know, if you're just being repetitive and just saying nonsense and gibberish, Mm -hmm. that probably is bad if you want to say that, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. once again, I can't knock anybody who's out there getting the money sure, because they get money, you know what I'm saying? But (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily call that singing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) quote unquote singing, you know what I mean? That's maybe what i like to call uh (laughs) vocalizing or something Mm -hmm. like that or vocal (laughs) whatever you want to call it but it's not necessarily singing so Mm -hmm. i mean yeah yeah uh
0: what advice do you have for other musicians that are trying to Mm -hmm. get work out here
1: (laughs) trust yourself that's the hardest thing to do Um, research Mm -hmm. I mean if you but trust your gut you know if you don't have a good feeling about something ask Mm -hmm. questions seriously I mean ask questions in general seriously Mm -hmm. you know um you get like I say you got to get your feet wet to swim Mm -hmm. and try new things don't be afraid to try things use your resources yeah that's one thing I say particularly to the students at UCO you know you know if you're a student you have access to certain databases Mm -hmm. you have you access to sheet music blah blah blah. use those things Mm -hmm. you know and ask the questions Mm -hmm. ask the questions um go online use print use digital but um if you're interested in radio look up radio stations now i mean some places don't want unsolicited material so you Mm -hmm. have to follow that you know but you got to find people you got to find people around you you know Mm -hmm. what i mean but trust your gut. It's yeah. hard. It's hard, you know. And there's gonna be tears. Trust.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what is the distinction between being a, a composer or songwriter and being a performer? Ooh, I'll tell you
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> it's composing for me has become a lot more difficult in my older years as i get older Mm. lyrically because i'm not i've always kind of knocked myself lyrically because you know i've always been you know lyrically some of my musical influences were like kate bush or steely dan Mm. and you know their lyrics are so idiosyncratic you're like "What, (laughs) what the hell are they talking about right and but I was just always amazed how they could just make a beautiful song mm-hmm. out of just this text. My text is just, my lyrics are just obvious. It's like, it's a journal page. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> just how I'm feeling, you know? But as as I grow older and I share pages of my journal, I have to think, you relive these moments. Mm-hmm. And some of these moments are hard to relive, mm-hmm. you know? And then you think, as, I, as you record these songs, you have to keep reliving these moments yeah. and reliving and reliving. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's not necessarily easy, and I have to say, am I really? Do I really want? Yeah. To revisit this <laughs> part, this event, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And lyrically, that's what I'd say. But performing, you know, you you take that, you take those lyrics, you take that text, and you relate it to you, mm-hmm. and hope, and maybe you can convey what the composer is saying, but you're saying it you're mm-hmm. taking what they're wanting to say but you're making it yours in some yeah, way shape or yeah. form so, it, so I guess that's that would be yeah it.
0: yeah <laughs> uh, switching gears okay <laughs> uh, there's no good transition for this uh huh <laughs> water now <laughs> right right <laughs> um what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life Ooh,
1: that's deep <laughs> 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 well um You know, as much as I may seem like it's not, it really is. Um, I come from a pretty religious household. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents are Jamaican. Mm -hmm. They immigrated from Jamaica in the 70s. And it's a very... Christian Catholic country. My mm. father is Roman Catholic. Mm. My mother is Presbyterian, which I was christened as such. My late grandmother was Apostolic, so I got religion from all types, right. you know. So I mean, and there was always a Bible in our house, and mm. I still have a Bible in there. But you know, it's been really difficult for me, mm. you know, uh, for several reasons. You know, I came out to my parents when I was eighteen. Mm. And so that was a big no-no coming from mm. a Jamaican household. Sure. Particularly because a lot of people don't realize that uh, homosexuality is still a law on the books, a, co- a colonial mm. law in Jamaica. Uh, buggery is how it's... It's an old English colonial law which wow. is still on the books and which carries a sentence of imprisonment for 8 to 14 years. Jeez. You they Folks don't realize that. Mm. You know, So when I came out, I mean, that just was the end of the world, you know. Mm. Uh fast forward, this was 19 years ago. I I mean, I'm in the center of the country while my parents are elsewhere, <laughs> but you right, know, right. and we don't necessarily address anything, but at the same time, I'm blessed to still have them. Yeah. You know, because there I have to face the fact that there's so many of us who mm. literally lose their lives, mm. you know, and so all that to say it was hard as a child growing up you know you you hear all these stories of religion you hear all these biblical stories mm-hmm. and you, you you did your best yeah but you know just this one thing that you have to deal with just negates everything else mm-hmm. so it just kind of felt it feel when you when you have that moment it's like well what the hell you yeah. know and so i was done for yeah. a while and but at the same time as much as i may seem like i'm not religious and I can't really, I can't decide whether or not it's the upbringing or it's messed you up or whatever, but in the back of my head, I still have some sort of, I won't say religion, but faith, Mm. you know, I've never really lost my faith that there is a higher being, Mm. you know, and there are those hardcore evangelicals who will... You know, turn their nose up at you and say, "Are you just spiritual or something?" Mm. And I'm like, "Look, you know that whatever (laughs) for that, I'm not here to address your concerns. Back Mm. up, you know, because there's a hypocrisy in that as it is. Mm. But I still have some sort of a faith in a higher being Mm. for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, What is your definition of God?
1: I take my father's definition, even though he and I still battle to this Mm. day. When I was a kid. He, uh, I asked, and he said, God is good, period. Hmm. So the way I've interpreted that is that any good deed is God. Yeah. God is not necessarily a being. Mm-hmm. To do good is to do God, to do yeah. God's work. Yeah. So that's just the way I've always interpreted that. Mm-hmm. And I know... In my heart, when I'm not doing good, you know, right, what I mean? right. when I'm when you know, if I am combative with someone for some reason, I don't necessarily gain anything from that. But sometimes mm. you gotta let some folks know. That's just my, <laughs> <laughs> that's my New York upbringing. But right. you know, but I mean, I just try not to bring any malice to the world, and mm. I just try to put my step outside of myself mm. and just think of someone else's perspective and how they may be how I may be perceived or what may be going on in their life and just try to, you know, do some good, you Mm. know? So that to me is the definition of God, whatever good is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I like that a lot. Thanks. Um, (laughs) It's always really hard to phrase this question. So, so far I only have it as free will question mark.
1: Um, I'm going to need you to elaborate. (laughs) Now, when you say Uh, free will, (laughs) like
0: free will, as in, uh, there is, something that allows us to make choices on our own it's sort of yeah we are the ones that make the decisions Mm -hmm. ourselves Mm -hmm. or uh while we are the ones that make the decisions those are sort of influenced by the things that happened before and it was kind of already what The
1: path was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I think because of my faith, Mm. I mean, yeah, there's choice. We all have choices. Mm. We all make choices. We all have what I like to call intersections when we gain knowledge. You're going to go one way. You're going to go forward, left, right, or you're going to be stagnant or go back, right? Mm. But I mean- I do believe in a reciprocity. I do believe, for lack of a better word, or maybe karma, but I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Mm. I don't... I have the ability to make all the choices in the world, mm. you know? But I don't know... If, if you define choice as free will, then yeah, we have free will. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I do. I don't... I think... It's such a hard I know, question. I know. <laughs> it really is. Because, you know, even though I do have enough faith to believe that God has a path for me, I'm still mature enough to believe, or maybe mature is not a, maybe that's too strong a word, <laughs> but I'm at least, you know, able to realize that at the end of the day, there may not even be a God, you Mm. know, it might just be the end. It might just go black, Mm. you know, but I have to believe that everything that I have experienced and everything that I've accomplished and everything that I've set out to do was because yes, I made a choice, Mm. but because God said, well, what are you looking at me for go do it you know no. <laughs> I, mean, I am not a type of person who prays for everything you know I mean I may just look up and you know just point I'm like yes, you know' what I'm saying? But, <laughs> I mean I'm just like do for self and handle it you mm. know I know I'm not gonna go kick somebody in the shin just to kick somebody in the sure. shin. that's just you know but uh, yeah, I, yeah yeah yeah
0: no. <laughs> um so how do we reduce the division that seems to be permeating our culture much more prominently but has always kind of been
1: communication and understanding communication acceptance of our faults and and the errors that we have committed but not just us but those who have come before us or errors and maybe the good deeds of those who have Mm -hmm. come before us as well, you know, but communication, I mean, closed mouths don't get fed. Right. Mm -hmm. But right now we are in such a political divide. We're in such Mm -hmm. a racial divide, it seems, but it's always been, Mm -hmm. It's, it's never gone away. It's always we're just now. It's just like kind of at a tipping point. It's yeah. the it's it's the pot bubbling over. It's the lid mm-hmm. bubbling. You know what I mean? And a lot of it comes out of stereotypes. Mm. A lot of come. A lot of it comes out of misinformation. I'm not going to jump on anything against the, the quote unquote media. You know mm. because there's a difference between legitimate journalism mm. and. Um, yeah. <laughs> mass com no offense to mass com majors or anything like that you know i mean go ahead and do that but there's a difference between journalism and being a pundit a pundit Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so there's that but if we don't talk and try to understand where someone else is coming from Mm -hmm. then it's just going to be assumed that we hate each other yeah right but I toe several lines. You know, it's an interesting time being an openly gay, black, first generation American. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, I just look at those perspectives and once again just thank God and for all the blessings that I've had. But Mm -hmm. communication and talking with people and trying to tell my stories and letting them know the situations I've been in, Mm -hmm. honestly.
0: Yeah. Um, have you had any like personal experiences where that has gotten a good result. I'm not saying it's like, oh, none of that's ever going to work. No, I'm like, saying it's like give an example because it, I
1: know that it does work. All right. All right. Um <laughs> you know, there's the there's the ongoing debate about use of the N-word. Mm. And I grew up I'm just going to put my stance on that. I grew up in a household where that was the dirtiest word ever. Mm. It still is. And Mm. it still is to me. Now I'm not gonna knock a brother or sister for saying that because to Mm. me it's cultural over racial. And that is a big problem. People just kind of lump all black people together, all white people together, Mm. not realizing that it's not about race, it's culture. And then Mm. within each culture there's a subculture. Mm. Because even because as I said, you know, I'm first generation American. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have all uh, the similarities of someone whose parents were born here in the States, mm-hmm. you know, cause there are certain things that I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? Right. So there's that, but I think I lost your initial question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I rambles it. Good result. Okay. <laughs> um. About a year ago, uh, I was at a place here in the Paseo. I think it was the other room and talking about the N word. That's what it was. Mm. And I overheard a conversation. I had a couple drinks. This young lady from some small town in Oklahoma who's Caucasian. She was with a group of her friends or whatever, justifying her use of the N-word because her black friends told her it was okay. Hmm. So after a repeated amount of usage, I stepped in and was like, you really need to understand that just because your people say that's cool Doesn't mean everyone's gonna be cool with Mm -hmm. it, and we had a long conversation. She bought Mm -hmm. me a drink, you know. (laughs) I mean, I was toasted after, you know. I probably, you know, we probably need to take that out. (laughs) 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 No, it's all good. But I mean, she was thankful after that because she hadn't really realized that, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's part of what I'm saying. It's not racial; it's cultural, Mm -hmm. because that was the cult. That's part of her culture. That's part of their culture. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not part of mine. Yeah. In my culture, it's the dirtiest thing ever, but. I'm not going to knock anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, just all I ask is that you don't address me as such. Yeah. So that's <laughs> how I feel about that. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, how, how do we uh make the world a better place?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it goes back into that good mentality, I guess. I mean... You gotta step outside of yourself mm. every now and then. You know, I know there's a lot going on in the world. And you know, sometimes it's hard, you know, sometimes we turn inward and we displace aggression. But that's one mm. of the things that I try to I try not to do. You know, I try mm. to check myself. If I'm like, why you know, whatever insecurity I'm feeling, I want to make sure that I'm not displacing that on you or right. someone else, you know. I, mm. I gotta check myself on that. But I mean I guess there's the old golden rule, you know, (laughs) you know, but that's, I mean, at the end of the day, you just want to do as much good as you can, you know, and Mm. think about the other person. Think about how you're, you never really realize how your actions affect someone else. So Mm. if, I cuss you out or something like that. Uh-huh. What you, that, You're going to take that. And then you have to release that someplace else. And it's just this endless cycle. So mm-hmm. I don't want to be a part of any reason anyone feels bad. You yeah. know, I mean, it doesn't always happen like that. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, that's the way I see it. You mm-hmm. know, I try just to bring yeah. as much positivity as I can. Yeah. You know, don't always happen, but you
0: try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, on positivity, what makes you happy? Huh. Ah. <laughs>
1: besides music um completing a goal or you know trying trying Mm. you know what i mean because like i said i mean i'm my my own worst enemy you know i'm a biggest Mm. hurdle and it's easy for me to get insecure and just kind of hibernate in these four walls right here (laughs) because i feel like well i have i got that I got a PS3, I got this, that, and (laughs) I got two turntables, and I have so I never need to leave. You know, I can Mm -hmm. make my own place here, but then you lose that connection. Mm -hmm. You you lose that outside connection. So I think I lost your question again. (laughs) (laughs) What makes you happy? (laughs) You know, I I will say this. uh, one thing that really makes me happy is when imparting wisdom on my students when Mm. i see them make that connection those light bulb moments Mm -hmm. as one of them says that makes it all worth it to me when Mm. i've done some good when i know i've done some good when i can see that i've helped someone grow in some way Mm. shape or form that to me makes me happy that makes me happy that's just one thing that makes me happy Mm. you know so (laughs) um
0: what advice do you have for people just in a broader sense
1: um Know yourself. Learn or want to know yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy. We mm-hmm. all have things that we don't want to face. Mm-hmm. We all have trauma. We all have insecurities. Mm-hmm. But don't be afraid to ask those questions. You know, but don't be malicious in your intent. You know, so, <laughs> you know, be real. You know, or, but use those resources. Trust yourself. Ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be afraid. I mean, there's a lot a lot of times you might be on your own, mm. you know, but the good will come. Yeah. Things will come. It'll come to you, but you got to trust yourself. And one of my students who's been with me for almost four years, I, I love when I love the saying she said to me, she was, I think, six at the time. And, you know, as a student, when you're a musician, you know, you may mess up and then you want to go back to the measure or something like mm. that. You want to go back to the beginning. I'm like, no, nah, man, figure out where you are. And you got to jump back in, you know? And she said to me, a hundred mistakes can be a hundred lessons if you learn from every one of them. Mm-hmm. So, it's a child, you know? Yeah. So I took that mm-hmm. and I take that. And so you got to get your feet wet to swim, right? You know, even if I don't succeed in my goal, at least I tried. I have, I have, you know, the evidence and so I'm going to try again. Yeah. So yeah, like just that. try, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: what's something about you that people don't commonly know
1: um i have perfect pitch um acute perfect pitch to the point where i can tell you letter names and octaves typically <laughs> but i also have tinnitus in my left ear oh crap it's interesting <laughs> and which is very interesting because i don't have tinnitus in both ears mm-hmm. but it's more com- it's common in both ears mm-hmm. so it was really dumbfounding yeah. to the audiologist but I have difficulties hearing high pitches, like treble pitches in my left ear. Mm. So if it's like above an E4 or something like that, I really mm. don't hear it. So you yeah. may see me lean in on my right ear or something like that because mm-hmm. I'll hear highs yeah. in the right. So typically if there's a high pitch, like a hi-hat coming from the left, it sounds like it's coming from the right. So I may turn to the oh, right yeah, or something yeah. like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I have perfect pitch and tinnitus. <laughs> yeah.
0: what, what pitch is your tinnitus right now? Ooh, it's several. It's like a,
1: <laughs> it's like a it's a C8 or 9. That's like the hmm. highest. Yeah, it's really high. I mean, yeah. you, I don't even think a 9 is odd. Aud- a 9 is audible for humans. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, you know, but it's definitely like a C8. Sometimes it might go a little lower, you know, but and sometimes it seems to pulsate. Yeah. But yeah, I've been <laughs> lucky enough it actually happened 10 years ago last month. It was October. Uh, 2008 that I developed tinnitus and it was quite an experience Hmm. but yeah that's one thing (laughs)
0: you you can tell that story I I mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even really know how it developed I have my suspicions which I'm not going to go into right now but um, (laughs) I mean I can just remember being at a piano it was like October 6th around 2008 and I was at my keyboard like five o'clock in the morning and You know how the Oklahoma tornado sirens kind of wind up? Mm -hmm. It was kind of like that sound in my left ear. But I just remember the sensation of not being able to pick my head up. And I felt like my head was falling over. Well, I didn't realize my equilibrium was being thrown off. Yeah, And so I just kind of worked my way over. Basically, I was from here to where my bed is now. And I just kind of went 10 feet over, maybe like to the bed. And I just threw myself on the bed and just... I said, God, if I'm going to die, just not feel any pain or anything. And I went to sleep. I woke up and the ringing continued. And to this day, it is incessant, you know, and I don't really realize it until there's complete until silence. It's quiet enough. You know, so you hear one of my computers just kind of humming in the background. Mm-hmm. If the power to go out and just complete silence, then it's really obvious. I mean, mm. I can hear it now, but mm. yeah, it's <laughs> it, you, you, you acclimate to it, particularly mm. as a classical artist, mm. you know, I can remember singing in operas and being on the stage and actually kind of having to find a downbeat. because, you know, when you have an orchestra, mm. You don't always have a percussive instrument. Right, you know? yeah, yeah. So you're trying to find a downbeat. <laughs> you're listening and you're watching a conductor, but sound carries. You're having to worry about all that. Mm-hmm. So you learn and you acclimate with what mm-hmm. you have, basically. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I have it in my right ear. Do you? <laughs> yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> oh my so why are you, <laughs> yeah, you know it. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I, I guess I. No,
0: no, you got uh, fine.
1: Did you experience any of the same physical?
0: No, it, it's actually been really gradual in the like. At some point, it just sort of became like, oh yeah, that's always there. Okay. But I think the first time that it really like became present was uh-huh. uh, I had an ear infection like okay. three or four years ago. Yeah. And uh, like it started as like a sinus infection, but it like made its way. Yard uh, and so like my like eardrum like. <sighs> oh my gosh. Um, and so after that. I could tell that there was a, an imbalance in from left to right and so I hear I hear lows better mm-hmm. in actually in my left which is weird uh, cuz my Cause right is just more sensitive. <laughs> okay. Uh I think because of the the ear infection.
1: Okay. Um
0: <laughs> and so but like the the tinnitus is still there. Yeah. Um so I think yeah I was mostly after that ear infection but like I didn't have like that imbalance thing. Okay. But it, I do remember the day whenever like my eardrum like burst that I was just like oh I my. can't hear. Wow. out of my right ear. Wow, and it's really scary. Yeah, being a musician. Yeah, it's really scary. It's traumatic. Um. Yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> <We're> sharing that. <laughs> um. But uh, last question. Yeah. Maybe the easiest or the hardest question. Dun, dun, dun. Cake or pie? Ooh.
1: uh because (laughs) boston cream pie or cake yes uh pumpkin pie yes sweet potato pie yes uh what else uh pecan pie yes apple pie yes uh uh and i'll do some cake too (laughs) carrot cake yes because i love cream cheese uh Chocolate cake, yes. I mean, so mm-hmm. I, I was a fat kid. There's something. <laughs> there's something a lot of people may not know. <laughs> okay, here. Once upon a time, I was three hundred pounds. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so mm-hmm. there we go. Yes, I was obese. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I still eat lots of cake and pie. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Troy, thank you for doing this with me. Thank
1: you, sir. Thank (laughs) you. This has been fun. I appreciate this.
0: (laughs) Uh, Where can we find you and your things, whatever online presence, plug
1: your stuff? Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Well, you can find me on uh, Reverb Nation as Troy Small. Uh, That's my uh, non-classical stuff. You can also find me on Reverbdacious Troy Anthony Small. I tend to put my middle name in my classical stuff. Mm. Um, Or you can just go to www.troyanthonysmall.com and uh, check out some links there. And leave a comment, uh, join our mailing list, and (laughs) just say, hey. Or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Troy Anthony Small. I'm pretty easy to find if you just keyword Troy Anthony Small is a username. Twitter, find me.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that your your Instagram is is pretty top notch. Oh, you. your, your little videos like is <laughs> great. You know, I
1: <laughs> thank you. I try not to. It's like, what is the line? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't want my parents to call me. <laughs> but thank you, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so again, I'm Santiago Ramones,
1: and I'm Troy Anthony Small. You can find
0: everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music, which you can uh, download or pay for my demo on Bandcamp, uh, which is called Songs with Words, um, or you can listen to some of my more electronic or composory stuff that's on my SoundCloud. Um, you can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on YouTube. Um, And you can leave a comment or a view on any of those things. Let me know what you think about Troy. Uh, (laughs) Be nice. uh, Well, always be nice. (laughs) Um, And uh, I always end my podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails.
1: It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.